Hi, I'm Dan Cottrell, editor of Rugby Coach Weekly. You're about to jump into one of our podcasts. If you want to find out more about this podcast and also all of the great content, drills, activities, games and advice on the website, then go over to www.rugbycoachweekly.net. I hope you enjoy the podcast. If people are only ever looking for a direct blow to the head, then they're probably missing quite a lot of concussions. Rugby Coach Weekly presents The Coaching Knife, where we cut to the root, cut out the fluff, and challenge the masters of their domain to cut to the chase. In this episode, we speak to Sam Bark, sports doctor and head of sports medicine at Meliora Medical Group, and return to play. Focusing on the myths surrounding concussion, we are going to cut to the root on how we deal with head injuries. Sam, are you ready for the knife? Very ready. Thank you, Dan. How can you tell if someone has concussion? Uh, Pretty easily once you accept that the risks of missing a concussion are too high and that there's no perfect test. But if someone has hit their head or their head is shaken around and then they behave differently or feel differently, then you can be reasonably confident that their brain is unhappy and that they've sustained a concussion. So how can you tell when you're looking? You're an expert. Um, well, I, I claim that I have no extra special skills compared to, to anyone else in the population. I just perhaps have a lower threshold and, and more confidence in making decisions than, than other people. And often people are very surprised at how quickly I make a decision, particularly on the, in the schoolboy game, um, that, that someone might might have a concussion. Because it really should be as simple as, as what I just said, that, they, that has there been an incident that's caused concern? Um, and then are that is that player displaying any signs or any symptoms that, that match with that concern? So generally, um, the, the most obvious is when somebody smashes their head into somebody else. I mean, I don't think anyone would argue that there is reason to take that as a, a situation. Can you give me some other examples where often people miss them? So concussion is really a whiplash injury rather than a direct blow injury. So if you hold someone's head still and smack it, it would almost be impossible for them to have a concussion because there's no acceleration, deceleration or rotational forces going through their brain. So the most common thing that people don't realise is that you don't need to hit your head to to have a concussion. And actually in children, um, a whiplash type injury, so a non-direct blow is much more common because they have weaker neck muscles and bigger heads compared to their bodies. So if people are only ever looking for a direct blow to the head, then they're probably missing quite a lot of concussions. So um, give me some examples of where we should be watching out. It sounds like we should be watching the game so sharply that we actually don't watch the rugby. We just watch for, watch, watch for whiplash. I mean, that might be the conclusion that we come to. Um, I think that the first thing to say is that it would it would almost be impossible to see everything because sometimes these injuries are subtle and sometimes that you don't realise something's happened until after the game and if you know a player is honest about how they feel and tell you that they don't don't feel well. So um, you know the the because there's no perfect test because you can't see everything and you can't see everything you know something on the bottom of a rack or whatever you can't always see um we're always going to have to accept that we may miss some of these incidents um but vigilance is is absolutely key and that's where knowing your players is important if people aren't performing the way they should or doing the things they should then you should have a high suspicion that something uh, might have might have happened um but yeah look, looking at those heavy blows obviously um and 
perhaps the ones that, that are more likely missed are the, are the sort of the close contact, close quarters uh, battles where you have repeated um, sort of lower level blows after and after, again and again and again. Um, and keeping an eye on players and seeing how they behave after that is very important. So could, it, could a concussion happen after, say, two or three of these things? So the first one you might miss, but the second one exacerbates it? We think so. Um, and that's, I suppose, another thing to say on this is that is that evidence is still emerging. The science is rapidly evolving in this area um, and lots and lots of research being done, particularly on the sort of less, uh, the lower level forces that are involved. And we started to talk a lot about what we call sub-concussions. So uh, smaller incidents that don't necessarily immediately produce symptoms, that, but that we think have an, a cumulative load in causing problems over time. Whether that's short term in terms of people starting to display symptoms after a second, third, fourth, whatever it might be or whether the problem is more long term that that is still emerging um that that science uh, but yes we do think that there can be an incident of a bit of a straw that broke the camel's back type situation where you've had lots of heavy hits and people will say well i didn't notice anything significant but they certainly had a really heavy game um and then there are signs and symptoms at, at, at display afterwards so yes we, we're starting to believe that it doesn't have to be just that big one-off hit that causes problems that it can be a cumulative load of, of what seem to be relatively minor hits so you said after a heavy game. So often um, I've been involved with teams where we've had a very heavy game and the players come off and they're absolutely shattered. It strikes me that you'd want to check all, all the players for concussion, not just say, um, just wander around, because these people are obviously on their knees after making maybe eight, nine tackles on average each. Uh, perhaps yeah. at the end of the game when they're tired, they're more uh, they're more susceptible to these things. And this is where uh, real life practice, um, you know, is a conflict with this, the simplicity that I tried to describe um, at the beginning. Because what the the big issue that we face with diagnosing concussion in the in the absence of a, of a specific test is that the signs and symptoms we look out for, a lot of those are very what we call non-specific. They can be caused by loads of things. So they're the obvious things like being knocked out. You know, very clear that a concussive incident has happened, but actually very, very rare, particularly in child, in children and adolescents, um, and being spaced out and dazed, they're all things we associate. But yeah, having a headache, feeling dizzy, feeling a bit sick. You know, if I went out and tried to play a game of rugby now, I could be pretty certain I'd feel like that afterwards, irrelevant to whether I took any any, any big hits. Um, I think that the biggest thing that perhaps we've failed to do um, over the last few years is, is really engage with with the players and, and by players, I don't mean adult professional players who should be very engaged with, but, but children, there's always a bit of protecting them from the knowledge of some of these areas. Um, but they should be aware the signs and symptoms to look out for and when to put their hand up and say, actually, I don't, I don't feel great. This isn't right for me. Cause that's the big thing is, is, is this right for you? If, if someone says to me, I feel like that after every game, you know, that's how, how I feel after playing a game of rugby. I don't, you know, I feel, I feel tired. I feel a bit sick. I have a headache for a bit, but once I've had some more, I feel better. And that's consistent how they feel. That's very different to someone saying, you know, after that particular match, I felt horrendous. I had a really bad headache. I felt sick or whatever it might be. So engaging with players, letting them know that, that they should raise their hands if they don't don't feel well, if things were different, so they've got concerns. And not that that is a, they're, then a blanket, you've got concussion and there, because of course there are consequences, but that means that they seek the right medical attention um, and empowering those players to make their calls, I think is really important. Okay, so there's two things which jump out of that. Well, the first one is that... Um, some 12-year-olds will be almost seeking attention to say they've got concussion because that um, that gives them a bit a bit of light on their on what they're doing. How do you help yourself and them make more informed decisions without them 
not understanding what what they're they're trying to say because um i'm not saying that they're trying to lie or they're trying to do this but they they may find it difficult to understand what's going on so as an adult how do we help them and ourselves through that in a sensible way i think by by being open and explaining what what we mean by concussion and what the consequences are so you know when we talk about concussion we're talking about a brain injury that's clearly important the brain is obviously very very important um and uh, i think the yeah, kids understanding the crying wolf you know trying to trying to get out of things by using that is is just not a good idea and also enforcing other consequences of that of course it shouldn't be a punishment but um you know if you're really following guidance around management of concussion to, to the letter those kids shouldn't be running around the playground they shouldn't be it's not just you're, you're off rugby because you don't want to be in the wet and the cold and you don't like the content element there are other consequences to saying that you will always have situations where in, in an injury like this where there is not a specific test that that people can abuse that we've seen that in professional sport right with hia instance where, where that's been abused and undoubtedly we have kids that, that that come through my clinics where they are putting it on um you know and i always talk you know you get a gun, gun instinct sometimes about those type of cases and i always talk about you know the importance of honesty and why the sort of crying wolf isn't a good idea and um and you know, the consequences of it but always say look if you're saying i believe you you know that's that's not my job as a doctor to call you lying i'm just explaining the, yeah. the, the the consequences and the reason why it's why it's important um but the i always say that the risks of 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 going too far the way of presuming everyone's putting it on and therefore putting people back to play when they might have concussion far far outweigh the negatives of keeping a keeping a kid off sport when they don't need to be um so at the moment in the absence of that special test um we will always err on the side of caution and, and have to believe the what what the kid is saying so after you've decided uh with the player that uh, they have shown symptoms of concussion that doesn't mean that you sign them off. Someone else, not when you, you the coach, don't sign them off. What uh, what should they do next? Uh, which gives it gives a sensible way of approaching this rather than sort of panicking and rushing off to A and E. Which maybe yeah, so maybe we should. I, I, I yeah. So that, that's why I suppose where it becomes a bit diff- difficult in terms of access to medical care. Um, so if, if you believe a player um, might have had a, a concussion, you have a suspicion. So that's what we say. We co- say coaches should have a suspicion of a concussion. They're not making a diagnosis. Um, then then that player should be removed from play. Obviously removed from potential harm's way because the big risks from concussion don't come from the initial injury necessarily. They come from taking further knocks not to the head. So removing them from danger, they should not be returned. To, to play until they've been seen by a medical professional and even then should never be returned to play the same day actually in amateur sport but they should they should be assessed by a medical professional whether that be a physio school nurse or, or or a doctor but someone that hopefully has done some education and training around the injury and understands it which perhaps is a, is a whole separate thread of the difficulties of that and the lack of knowledge in the medical community and the difficulty that can cause um so yes, you sh- you should be seeking medical care um, to to assess the injury and and to make a diagnosis. Having said that, an acknowledgement of what I've just said about the lack of knowledge among among um, uh, among medics, although hopefully improving, um, the RFU guidance is very clear that if a coach um, believes there were clear signs and symptoms of concussion, that player should be managed as a concussion, irrelevant of what a medic says. Because unfortunately, there are situations where it is very obvious there's been a concussion, and someone goes to their GP or goes to A&E, and they're given outdated 
uh, advice about about the management of that injury. So, you know, for example, said, oh, just have a couple of days off and then you'll be fine to get back, which obviously is very difficult for non-medics to deal with. You're a school coach and, well, the doctor said I can play. Why aren't you letting me play? But in acknowledgement of that, the RFU guidance is now very clear that, that the coach should still be managing that as a concussion. So let's move on to managing the concussion. Uh, something you've said, which I think is very important for us to just delve into, is that when you have been diagnosed with concussion, you are not off just off rugby, you're off running around as well. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I think understanding what's going on inside the brain is important for that also. Well, I think it helps helps explain it anyway. So when, when we've had a concussion, the brain is shaken around, um, there's a rapid firing of all the nerves, almost an electrical storm, and then there's leaking of certain chemicals out of the nerves without, you know, this is received very basic level I hope there's no neuropathologist listening are going to pick me up on it but um <laughs> but what, what in effect is you get is a plummeting of the energy levels in the brain because all those nerves need to be reset so then the brain needs lots of energy to try and do that and get those nerves working again and while that process is going on we have symptoms that are suggested that the brain isn't, isn't working very well now if we were to carry on as as normal um and by that I mean sort of in the immediacy normal life uh, rushing around like all of us do and kids do at school just not without playing sport but then if we add in sport to that where our energy starts to go to our, our muscles rather than to our brain, we know that that slows the curve of, of recovery um, and means that the brain is vulnerable for a lot longer. So yes, it's not just about staying away from rugby, it's about staying away really from, from exercise um, or, or fitness for fitnesses, uh, for exercises, exercise for fitness's sake, um, because we want all the energy going to the brain to fix it rather than to, to other places. Now, where we get into some confusion there is, well, at what point can you start progressing into exercise? And there's lots and lots of emerging research, some suggesting that actually you're better starting some exercise earlier, but staying away from contact for a lot longer than we do currently and vice versa. And that's where at the moment we're in this slightly sort of area where knowledge is continually, continually progressing. And obviously we need to stay as safe as possible. We don't want to suddenly go rogue with, with you know, one bit of research comes out and we change the way we do things. Uh, but undoubtedly things will evolve with, with time in terms of the way we manage the injury. Are some players more susceptible to concussion than others? Uh, almost certainly, but it depends what we mean by concussion. Just <laughs> um, so concussion really is when there has been a brain injury that displays symptoms. So that's where it starts to get a bit complicated and where probably that subconcussive picture comes into play because I could apply exactly the same force to my head and your head, or someone I've put it hard to do it to my head, but someone could do it to both of our heads. Um and in exactly the same way and it could all be you know, done and done and allowed exactly the same way and we would therefore presume that the same forces have gone through our brain and that would have caused the same damage to us but we could have wildly different symptoms in fact one of us can might not have symptoms at all but we know the same forces have gone through our brains and therefore presumably the same damage has happened so rather than saying people are more susceptible to concussions perhaps it's better to say some people are more susceptible to symptoms and i think you know people like you coaches that have been around you know kids and rugby a long time know that there are some kids that and adults that seem to have a very low threshold to, after knocks to, to have symptoms and there's some you think god how you know the the warrior types um that we used to go wow but now we think oh god maybe actually they're putting themselves a lot of harm because we just never knew they were getting injured um so there are people that are more susceptible to symptoms and actually in some ways now with looking at that going well actually maybe these are the these are the people that we we're able to keep safe because at least we know when something's happened to them and therefore we can treat them appropriately but those players where we have no idea 
um, they're going on and on and on and kept taking more and more knocks to the head. And we just never know about it. We're never allowing them to have the rest and keeping them away from from further injury while their brain's still still recovering. Um, and that's probably where that that subconcussive picture is coming into play. Those players that, you know, some of the, the players that we're looking at now in terms of the um the legal case against the RFU, the Steve Thompsons, the Alex Alex Poppins, you know, actually didn't have that many clear concussive episodes across their careers but to a hell of a lot of hits to, to the head uh, over their careers, day in, day out in that era of professionalism. And actually, perhaps that's the big problem, is that their their brain had such a high threshold to have symptoms that no one ever knew what was going on, and now they've run into long-term problems. Um, again, all very much still emerging emerging area, but definitely there are some people that seem to have symptoms come on very easily and some people that, that don't. There's potentially a danger that we think that concussion only happens in rugby. Um where does rugby sort of sit in the the concussion league? Um, pretty high up. Um, you know, I, I as as you know, I'm a a massive massive rugby rugby fan, a rugby man, and um, you know, I think that we we need to acknowledge that that concussion isn't only rugby's problem, um, and it's not a, even a sporting injury. Concussion happens you know, everywhere, and uh, some old research showed that you know kids are far more likely to be uh, kids going through a and e with head injuries are more likely to uh, sustain those outside of sport that, than in sport so there's lots of confounding factors in there that perhaps the ones happened in sport didn't present to a and e but um this injury happens all over the place all the time and, and the data that we see through through return to play we've seen almost four thousand um concussion appointments so, so far this year since september um and consistently over the years we've seen about 20 percent of our injuries being non-sporting concussions um our data of course is is skewed because we work with mainly big rugby schools so you're going to see the rugby injuries come through but even in those rugby schools you see plenty coming through from from football from hockey from all sorts we've seen we saw last year uh concussions across 18 different sports so pretty much every sport you play, you play can carry a risk of concussion because if normal life carries a risk of concussion a sport will carry a risk of, of concussion um but it would be it would be foolish to suggest rugby doesn't carry a higher risk than, than other sports it's a contact sport it's going to carry those risks and and it would be almost impossible to eliminate eliminate those risks entirely. Um, but we, of course, have to make sensible steps to reduce it as much as possible, um, but also to put the measures in place to make sure when we think the injuries have happened that we're 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 reducing risk by providing good care. Because that's the big thing with concussion, as I said earlier, is that of course we don't want it to happen, but the risks are significantly mitigated by managing the injury well. Whereas if we don't manage it well, a lot worse harm can be caused. So in, in in conclusion, in a sense, is that we should all become more aware about concussion, not just because we are involved in rugby. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it, um, I've been saying for a while that it's, it's a public health issue. It's not a rugby issue. Um, and there are moves to do that. There's now a government, government group and they are actually focused on sport more. But I think what will come out of it, and it's certainly not focused on rugby alone, but what will come out of it is that actually just general better knowledge is, is required, certainly in the med- in the medical world, um, but just across the, the, the population in general, because um, we, I've seen cases lots where kids have had very clear concussions outside of sport. And even in schools where they have a very good sort of rugby policy on concussion, that kid's been allowed to carry on because no one's really linked the two. And it's like, well, no, the, the, the injury isn't treated differently because it didn't happen on a rugby field it still needs to you don't treat a broken arm that happened in rugby different to a broken arm that happened in the playground it's the same the same with concussion yeah well that's a great analogy to finish off okay so sam is a sports doctor at a number of rugby playing schools he is match doctor at harlequins 
The return to play philosophy is by managing risk, we can ensure the huge benefits of rugby can continue to be enjoyed. You can con- contact him at sam.bark, that's bark with an E, at meliauramedicalgroup.co.uk. The link will be in the uh, show notes and visit their website uh, at return to the number two play.org. UK. We're going to fish off with some quick fire questions. Number one, Sam, your favourite question. How old are you? I am 36. 36. Look a day over 38. <laughs> right. Uh, what book is beside your bedside? Um, well, nothing is, is, the, <laughs> is the honest answer. Uh, there's a book on my desk that I've been meaning to open for the last uh, last three months, which is The Mental Impact of Sports Injury, which actually has big crossovers with concussion because there's a definite uh, anxiety response to that. But All right. I'll be honest, it hasn't been opened yet. <laughs> it's OK. Uh, which uh, coach or teacher are you loving at the moment? Oh, uh, to be honest, I have huge, huge respect for pretty much every um, master in charge of rugby or director of sport at the schools we work with. I think they do an incredible job. Um, and when you sit behind the scenes as you have been, you realise just how much work goes into it and their passion for for supporting kids, not just through in sport, but in terms of developing into good young adults. So everyone. Everyone. Good. Right. Which sport subject or team would you love to be coaching at the moment? I would be a useless coach, Dan. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't want to. They wouldn't want me to. <laughs> You're probably doing yourself a disservice. Who's inspired you the most then? Um, I think in terms of the, the head injury and concussion side of things, uh, Peter Robinson, whose son Ben Robinson sadly died in 2012 in tragic circumstances, who I just think has tirelessly and um, uh, just tirelessly campaigned for, for better awareness around concussion and, and and seems to be making good progress. So a lot of respect for him. And though it's not that long ago, what would you tell your 20-year-old self to do more of? Um, do what you enjoy follow the path you want to follow um yeah i haven't followed a standard medical career path i've done i've i've, I've merged passions sports sports and medicine and it seems to work quite well oh great excellent sam thanks very much for your time really enjoyed that thanks very much for listening to the coaching knife